You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findley, and I have a special treat for you, everybody. I've been talking uh, a lot with people about doing some uh, bonus segments or like regular ongoing segments here in the Epic Marvel Podcast that don't necessarily have to do with epic collections, but do have to do with Marvel Comics. And I'm sure you've already heard from my friends at the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast, Steve and Doug, who talk about movies probably usually from the 80s because they also talk about uh, Marvel adaptations of these movies that they did during the 80s. And you probably have already seen the epic Marvel crossover podcast episodes with Will and Jim. And uh, those ones are the ones where they talk about a Marvel comic that is a crossover with a different company, you know, Image or DC or whatever. I've also been talking to Chris, Chris Marshall from the Collected Comics Library, and uh, he's got a great podcast if you haven't checked that out yet over at firstcomicsnews.com. And Chris is my regular co-host on my Punisher episodes, and we've had a great time talking about about the Punisher. And um, he thought that maybe it would be cool if he did some episodes about um, the Marvel Max Punisher series, the one by Garth Ennis and uh, Steve Dillon. And so he decided that with his co-host over on his podcast, with his co-host Andy, uh, they're going to take that up. And so they've started releasing episodes of Punisher Max over on their podcast, and they said that I could run it over here on my podcast too. And this is a little tit-for-tat because he runs uh, the episodes that uh, I do with him about the Epic Collections on his podcast. So it's, you know, it's a big podcast family that we're in here, and it's really exciting. So this is the first episode talking about a miniseries uh, that comes before the actual, uh, chronologically comes before the actual Punisher Max series called Born. And it is a great conversation, so I hope that you enjoy listening to this. And uh, now I'll just turn it on over to uh, Andy and Chris. I hope you have a good time listening to this episode. Welcome to the Collective Comics Library. I'm your host, Chris Marshall. And I'm Andrew Tom. And tonight we have a special edition of the CCL where over the course of the next several months, we will be discussing and reviewing the complete Punisher Max run by Garth Ennis. Tonight, we are going to start at the very beginning uh, with Born, which came out in 2003. And you may recall that I do a similar breakdown in the Epic Marvel podcast where I discuss the Punisher Epic Collections with host Curtis Finley. This episode will also be run on Curtis's Epic Marvel podcast feed, so you can look for it soon. So without further ado, Andy, let's dive into Born. I do want to ask a quick question, though, Chris, because you are the Punisher oh, aficionado. I'm not a Punisher aficionado. I own a lot of Punisher, but 
I am, I mean, I couldn't tell you who was in Punisher 15 on panel 35 or something like that. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, I'll bet you'll know Don't this. get me on like Punisher Jeopardy because I would lose. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do I'm that. I'm a big fan of the, of the character. And yes, I own a lot, but I'm not like an expert expert. So. Well, you've been buying Punisher, though, as long as I can remember and as long as I've known you. Yes. So um, here's my question. This Bourne book we're going to cover tonight. Yeah. This is, we talked about this. You said just a minute ago, this is the beginning, but this is the beginning chronologically. This isn't really the first Max series, right? Uh, no, this was, no, the first Max series. Well, of course, we'll go over this uh, at the end. There's, there is a chronology for this that I want to go over. But yeah, uh, Ennis started on the Marvel Knights run. And then he went over to the Max run and in between, uh, during Max, he had this, um, this miniseries called Born. Uh, but there's even uh, two uh, prequels to Born that we'll get into. Okay. And, actually, and actually a single issue that comes before everything. So I want to talk about that at the very end of the show. Um, but I would like to, yeah, we can just kind of start out with Bourne and kind of go into it because there's some allusions to the prequels that Ennis does eventually write. And it's right in uh, the first uh, couple of pages of Bourne, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, so do you want to uh, start out with what's going on in the first few pages and we can kind of take it from there and discuss, uh, you know, what this is all about? Yeah, yeah. So real quick, just to cover, if you yeah. haven't heard of Punisher Born, Punisher Born is this Punisher Max story, and uh, it, it's only a four-issue miniseries, but there's a tremendous amount of content in these four issues. There's a lot of character development in here, and it, it, to be perfectly honest, it's fantastic. But it is, it, it is only four issues, so you're, if, if, if you get out Punisher Born off your shelf, or if you've never read it before, if you pick it up digitally or you buy it at the store, uh, if you can go to the store, uh, you're <laughs> only in for a little bit of, it's a short read because it's only four issues. I mean, I think the trade paperback I have is fourteen ninety nine, but it, it was is only the, like 112 pages in it. It's really quick. Yeah, it's really quick. And, and you did say, let's get started on the first issue. So real quick, um, this book, it's fantastic. First of all, obviously written by Garth Ennis yep. and it's penciled by Derek Robertson with, if you've, uh, if you've never read Punisher Max, Derek Robertson obviously did some Punisher Max stuff, but he is probably more famous for being the artist on the boys comic, which is now on Amazon prime and is kind of a renewed vigor. Uh, but Derek Robertson's a, a, you know, a veteran comic artist. He's been around for a long time. He's got a great style. He's got a really neat style, kind of uh, uh, reminiscent, a little bit of, uh, there's a little kind of Dale Keown look to some of his work but he's got a unique style. I really, really like it. He's done a lot of work for DC over the years. And um, he's done a lot of other stuff that's just been kind of the, I don't want to say excessive, but it's this, it fits right in with this Max series, right? He's very good at doing the excessive violence and oh, yeah. the gruesome type stuff. So it fits in really well with this. Uh, this has got inks by Tom Palmer also who many of you will probably know from uh, working with John Romita Jr. quite a bit. I think Tom Palmer may have even worked on Kick-Ass, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And Colors on this, which I will touch on later on, by Paul Mounts, who is an excellent colorist, and he has done a lot of work for Marvel in the past. I thought the colors, besides the writing in this book from Ennis, um, 
you know, I can I can take or leave Derek Robertson's pencil pencils sometimes, depending on the the panel, but the colors are just amazing. Just it captures it so well. It, it, you know, I don't know if there was any awards given out Eisner Awards. I can't remember back to two thousand three, but if if Paul Mounts didn't win Eisner Award for the color in this. That was a crime. He yeah. at very least should have been nominated for this because what he's done here with the coloring is just unbelievable. He's able to set the tone and the mode. And, and we'll get to that with some of these panels we're going to talk about and what how it actually changes the mode, the mood of the story as well. So uh real quick, start- what do you what do you make of the uh the covers by uh Wesla Wakashi? Wakashi Wakashi I don't know. Wakuski? Wakuski, yeah. Why, I, it's not an artist I'm familiar with. It's this, but they're beautiful. Oh, they're beautiful. They're color grotesque covers. and beautiful, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you've never seen it, the covers are basically just a, a headshot of Frank with uh, with his helmet on, but part of his face is always broken away to reveal a skull. So it's always kind of this idea of him becoming through each issue, and you see more of it being broken away and a little bit different variation of the same type of cover. And then as it gets further and further, it basically just tracks his um, journey to becoming the Punisher. Well, except for issue, except for the cover of issue four. I can't remember which one's four. So I go back. Well, we'll get to that. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Because <laughs> that kind of freaked me out when I when I reread it. I'm like, ooh, there's the cover. Okay, okay we'll get to that. Okay. So the the issue basically starts out with. Uh, it, it's called the, the first issue. Uh, the title of the first issue is called the first day. And I don't know. I'm really not sure why it's called the first day. And I'm sure you can probably expound on that. I, I don't even know either. No, that's a good question. But okay. it, it does well, take I, place in late October of 1971. We do have a date uh, on when it's being done. So this is towards the end of the Vietnam war, right? So, yeah. and if you're unfamiliar, Punisher Max is set in sort of a real time thing. Whereas it, uh, sets Frank in the Vietnam War back when he was originally created. I think nowadays they've up, get updated to where he was in uh, the Iraq War or something like that. But uh, this is the original Punisher, and it sets that. And that's why when we get to Punisher Max later, he's clearly older than he is in this story. Yep. Uh, but where it starts out is here, he's clearly on his – I shouldn't say clearly, but you find out that he's been in uh, Vietnam for three tours now, and he's on his thir- third tour, and he's at a fire, uh, fire base called Valley Forge. Uh, and this is right about seven miles from the Cambodian border. Right. And, and the book opens up with basically this looks like a resupply plane or something. It's coming in uh, for landing at the landing strip at the fire base and it gets picked off and crashes right at the fire base. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. The guys in the platoon are betting on if it's going to survive or land safely or not. So these guys are just, they're really just a bunch of misfits and they're just trying to pass the time and, you wonder if something like this uh, went on actually on the bases or still goes on at the bases these days on, you know, how, when's it going to land or the timing of it? I mean, these guys are just trying to pass the time, right? And they're just trying to just anything they can do to bet cigarettes or pot or, you know, or something, um, you know, money, whatever. So Yeah, and it's pretty obvious at this point that a lot of the men in this platoon are, are very callous as to what's going on. I mean, they're – and they basically reveal in the beginning in this first issue that they really have been on uh, uh, untouchable this whole time. I mean, yeah. they've been going out on patrols and they come back and they usually 
they typically don't lose any men. There's no KIAs in any of their patrols. Yeah. I mean, they come back and they've gone out and they've kicked ass and, and they're back and, you know, but they aren't getting no support from the U S government on this. Right. And that's evident. So we find out um, on the next couple of panels that uh, it's being narrated by a, I don't know if he's a uh, second Lieutenant or something like that, but he's kind of low in the ranks um, by a, a character named Stevie Goodwin. And we find out he's got 39 days to go and he is absolutely afraid of Captain Frank Castle, who has been there. Uh, and Andy, you alluded to it. He's been uh, the commander. Uh, he's taken, he took over command six months ago and this is his third tour. Uh, what's interesting here, and this is where it kind of alludes to the other prequels, his first tour, Frank's first tour, was in 1968. And his second tour, which nobody really knows about, uh, Stevie says it might be a, some kind of mystery and it may have taken place in Cambodia. And I will touch on these uh, first and second tours at the end of the podcast because Ennis did write the stories about Frank's first two tours in Vietnam. Uh, so from there, uh, they come across a group of what appears to be uh, civilians, Vietnam civilians, but then... Um, you know, and, and Frank has warned his colonel uh, that an offensive is coming. But, you know, the, like you said, Andy, nothing is going to be done. They're not going to get any support on anything um, or, or nothing. So they go out and patrol, and Frank knows that whatever happens, you know, they're kind of on their own. And sure enough, uh, they are hit by sniper fire. And, um, and uh, Frank, uh, you know, they're all kind of freaking out. And uh, Frank, for, for the most part, um, goes up to them and uh, kind of finds out there's actually three snipers, and he just takes them all out. So, And by this time, the, the other guys in the platoon are kind of like, whoa, where did this come from? Uh, Frank is kind of setting in motion his, his violent and punisher ways. It's almost like he's had enough of everything that's been going on. Yeah, and Frank really, he, he, he it's clear they're introducing him in this as a – He's going to be in charge. He's going to make sure he takes control of the situation. He doesn't want to be left at anyone else's whims because, quite frankly, he doesn't really trust anyone. Right. Uh, he And he wants to be in control of that situation. Uh, and that's part of the reason why they haven't had any casualties amongst their, their unit, right, is because Frank's always there, and he's always being super cautious, and he's always seeing every angle. One thing they go about really well in this book is, being sure that to explain how Frank sees every little maneuver that the VC is, is performing in order to advance their cause. And Frank sees every little clue and can figure out what's going on. Uh, Really. And by the way, I wanted to speak real quick on this as an art guy. uh, One thing that's really evident with this is Derek Robertson. He went through this and each soldier is clearly identifiable. Sometimes when you get into war comics, You'll get a lot of soldiers that are dressed exactly the same. Yeah. And especially with some comic artists that may not have the skills that an artist like Derek Robertson has, they'll tend to draw a lot of soldiers exactly the same and you really can't tell them apart. But here he's gone through these extra miles. If you've ever seen the movie Platoon or Full Metal Jacket or any of those types of films, you'll right. you'll understand there's always guys that have personalized their you know, their 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 combat helmets or or their, their fatigues or whatever they've got. And here he's done the same thing. So each character is clearly uh, differentiated by how Robertson draws them. 
Yeah, and they also have their own specialties, it seems. You know, one guy can throw a grenade really well. One guy has got um, his machine gun. Another guy's a sniper. You know, a lot of the same things that you saw in other war movies like Platoon, like even uh, Saving Private Ryan. You know, each guy has their own specialty in a way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's funny now, and speaking of Platoon, one thing this uh, Stevie Goodwin character, he's kind of narrating it like Charlie Sheen's character did in Platoon, too. Kind of. Very similar. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And he's naive, and he knows that he's the right. He knows how to do the right thing, and and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just kind of counting down his days, similar to that Sheen character. Yeah. So, but unlike the Charlie Sheen character, who kind of turned uh, more hardened as he went, this Stevie Goodwin's still pretty much a good guy and wants to do the right thing. Yeah. So Frank, um, you know, he tells the colonel about what happened and uh, the colonel will have nothing of it. In fact, uh, Frank is ordered to escort the general who's coming to a firebase Valley Forge around camp. And Frank early thinks it's totally beneath him, which it is. Um, and even he does his best to plead to the general, um, you know, what's going on. And even the general's like, you know, tell me, you know, they're into a fight and Frank tells you, this is how, this is what it is. You know, he's like, we're getting no support. And uh, he's just really pissed off. And the general doesn't even care. In fact, he's there to look around the camp so he can close the camp. And, uh, and um, Andy, why don't you talk a little bit on how to, uh, how Frank uh, takes care of the problem with uh, the general here. Yeah, I'll definitely talk about that. One thing I want to point out real quick before we go too far though Uh did you notice, I wanted to ask real quick, mm-hmm. uh, the colonel here who basically kind of just says, I'm going to pretend I'm sick so that I don't have to deal with the general and makes Frank do it. And this guy is yeah. a total worthless piece of piece of garbage. And he, uh, do you notice he looks almost just like William H. Macy? Oh, does he? I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah, you got to take a look at this. He, okay. I mean, it's like uh, Derek Robertson cast William H. Macy in this role. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, that's it kind of does, yeah. Yeah, I think he looks like him. And then the uh, the general they bring around kind of reminds me of the typical uh, stereotypical general looking. He's a short guy. He's got his hands on his hips. He's got this bushy mustache, this cookie duster mustache. And uh, so anyway, Frank's like he's basically you know yelling at Frank and telling him what a piece of crap he is and his unit's a piece of crap. And so Frank tells him, "Well, you got to go look at this before you leave, sir, because this, you need to see this before you leave and make your <laughs> final decision." So he sends him up these stairs that go up the top of the hill to go look over this hill and uh he goes up the top of the the hill the hill and he says i don't see anything what are you talking about you idiot and he stands up there at the top of the hill and gets picked off by a sniper and well yeah but frank is he's standing in front of the sign yeah so that's and of course so great yeah that there, there's a sign that says danger sniper at work um and and sure enough frank stands right in front of it so the the general probably wouldn't even read the sign if he wasn't you know, even standing in front of it, he just probably would go up anyway. He's that dumb. Yeah. And but, this uh, general's clearly full of himself and, Oh yeah. And wasn't going to let any you know grunt tell him what to do and what's going on. So exactly. he just walks into it and Frank just, you know, sets him up for, you know, he's not going to let some bureaucrat take down his unit. And that's yep. what, that's what he does. But then we hear something that Frank hears and uh, there's a voice inside frank's head that starts to starts to go off so um what do you think of the voice coming out of nowhere the voice was interesting i wasn't quite sure what it was at first but as Mm -hmm. it goes on obviously you you know what's coming right yeah um it's that 
that inner that inner punisher it's starting to come come up to the top right yeah he's punishing the the bad you know kind of thing so mm -hmm. and you know this is called born and that you know this is how it kind of starts so and that's uh that's the end of uh issue one yeah of course great issue uh good really yeah well very paced. good issue yeah um yeah it, it's just it's really well paced it tells a it tells a really good story it sets up the characters really well by the end of this issue you know there's a couple of characters you really haven't been introduced to yet but you you understand goodwin you understand his motivations you understand frank and you understand his motivations for sure you realize that you know the, the head of the of firebase valley forge is a piece of garbage and really doesn't want to be there and right yeah and frank is real be honest frank is in charge right yep so issue two chris want to start us out oh actually you know what i got ahead of myself with the snipers the snipers are in issue two uh issue one they were on patrol and uh they did get shot at at issue one but issue two is where the snipers happen so uh real quick the um there's so many snipers in this book. <laughs> so in, um, in issue two, it started off with um, a guy named Angel, and he is getting ready to shoot some heroin at one of the bunkers. Again, very reminiscent of Platoon, uh, where the guys go to get high. It's kind of like a safe haven. And if you uh, pay, the, pay the right soldiers, you can get your drugs. And, uh, but here... Uh, kind of stevie sees him kind of going in there or he kind of steps by and he sees angel ready to shoot up his heroin and stevie stops him uh but angel hasn't paid yet for the drugs so meanwhile stevie is is saving angel the, these other soldiers come out with a razor and want somebody to pay and pay by cutting their face and uh frank intervenes and he'll have none of it and uh He's not going to, he doesn't punish these other guys because um, it's not the right thing to do at that time. Uh, I think Frank knows that if the time is right, he'll, he'll get these other guys. But now is not the time to, you know, cause an uproar in the camp, which is probably pretty smart. And, um, you know, what would you think about that? Yeah, I think that's probably... Uh... You know, Frank is there's guys he he trusts like uh, Goodwin and Angel to that extent, and it's yeah. important to note that Angel. This is the first introduction we have to the Angel character. Angel is a black man, and he is from a uh, depressed area of the country. You find out later on. He talks about uh, what he's got to go back home to, but he feels that these drugs are you know it, it doesn't matter that he take that he's on these drugs or whatever now. Whereas Stevie is trying to keep him clean, right? He's looking out for his best interests. Yeah. And it really sets up um, uh, what they're looking towards going back. I mean, Stevie's looking at going back home to the United States and he's looking forward to, you know, all the great things. He's going to marry the prettiest girl he meets as soon as he gets back. And he's got all these dreams of how great life's going to be. And Angel is this kind of character that thinks, well, it's going to suck when I get back right? It's going to be terrible. Right. There's nothing there for him, right? He's just going right back to the ghetto. Right. Exactly. And then the, these guys that are feeding drugs to Angel are just there to monopolize on, you know, everybody else's misery. And that's why they're there. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of why I took this. And Frank is kind of like this big brother type figure to some of these characters too. I mean, he's in there for his third tour. Right. So he sees these good people like Angel and like Stevie, and he kind of watches out for them too. But Stevie is still afraid of Frank because he knows he's a badass. 
Right. And that's, um, yeah, th- yeah. And that kind of changes here. And I, I don't think Stevie ever, I mean, Frank will plead to him later on in the, in the series, but I don't think Stevie ever takes to that, you know, he doesn't want to be his friend. Um, but I think he knows he can trust Frank, you know, whereas before at the beginning he, he didn't. Yeah, and there's a situation coming up here where it's clear that yeah, it's clear. Yeah, yeah, Frank trusts him. So, right, exactly. So, um, and this this kind of sets it off here. So now there's an attack. Now they go up on patrol again, and um, and they are attacked by what appears to be one sniper, uh, but then all of a sudden there's more than one, and Frank uh, picks up an M60 where everybody's kind of running and freaking out, and guys are dying. I think they had six. Ki- kills uh six guys on the platoon are are dead um and frank picks up a a giant machine gun and takes out all the snipers and has no fear in front of these snipers and i think he's even shot or or grazed a little bit um and then in the jungle they find a fourth sniper which appear i don't know if this is a fourth sniper or not andy it wasn't really made clear but anyway it's a female uh and she's about to commit suicide by a pistol but it subsequently stopped. And one of the soldiers whose name is McDonald, uh, you know, everybody's like, what do we do with her? What do we do with her? And McDonald wants to rape her. Uh, but uh, Frank comes in and he puts a stop to it um, and uh, kind of like puts a gun right to McDonald's face and he kind of backs off and everything. So then everything kind of settles down and McDonald goes down to the river to wash up his face, uh, which is full of blood already from the, from the firefight. Um, and Frank kind of goes up behind him and puts his face on the back of his neck and drowns him. And this is where uh, Stevie witnesses uh, this episode. Yeah, I mean, Frank, obviously McDonald is raping this woman. Um, and Frank basically will have none of it and walks up and basically just shoots the, shoots the, the woman in the head to put her out of her misery. And uh, right. Yeah, and it's it's uh, they don't show you the the or head exploding or whatever, but it's a pretty tough scene. I mean, uh, and McDonald is obviously shop, shocked, um, and the other men are kind of just kind of standing around staring. It's funny. I know I shouldn't say funny. That's not funny. But uh, in the back of this, because I read it in trade paperback, and I know you read it in issues, Chris. In the trade paperback, I'm fortunate enough to have. Um, a breakdown of this panel and this sequence in the back by Derek Robertson. And he does mention that he drew this several times. The first time he drew it, a bunch of the men were standing around and they should, and he has a sketch of all the, the men with shocked faces and whatnot. And he ended up deciding to take those men out of it and show them in another panel, just kind of standing off. Like they wanted to get away from the situation instead, which I think is probably the right call. Um, so it, it shows the men more afraid of Castle rather than just being sh- shocked that Castle would do this. They know he's a stern man. They know he's in charge, and th- they understand what he – I mean, they, they just kind of like, oh, crap, what went on here? And they know the way Frank handles it, the men know that he's not to be messed around with. Yeah, right? you're right. And what, yeah. and what he says goes. But, yeah, like you said, McDonald goes to the water. He goes to wash his face down in the water. Frank walks up behind him, puts his boot on the back of McDonald's head and holds it underwater until he drowns. And all this time, Stevie Goodwin is watching from afar, sees this happen. Yep. And um, 
Frank then comes up to uh, Stevie a little bit. They're, they're back at the Firebase uh, um, Valley Forge. And uh, Frank talks to Goodwin about what he saw. Um, Frank knows he witnessed it. And, you know, they kind of talk about why. And it comes out pretty much, Andy, that he wanted to punish McDonald. He, you know, he's the bad guy. Um, even though they're there to kill the enemy, that's their job. But, you know, McDonald doesn't have to do that sort of stuff. Um, and even though Frank says, um, uh, let's see, what does he say? Um, I wanted to punish him. What about the girl? Don't be stupid. Um, Goodwin. Um, he says, Goodwin, you don't have to be scared of me. And then Stevie says in his own head in the panels, uh, but I am, of course I am. So he's still scared, but he knows that Frank isn't, he's a psycho, but he's not a, a crazy psycho. He's got his psycho house in order, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's important to note here, too. I mean, obviously, Stevie wonders, well, why'd you kill the girl, right? Right. And Frank says he puts a VC sniper on a medevac, and then none of the men in the platoon ever trust him again. That's true. Yeah. That is true, right? Save the enemy. Right. You can't right. save the enemy. And then he also and she'll says. She'll just kill again. She'll just kill again. Right. And he says if yeah. he hands her over to Intel. And then she doesn't tell him anything. And then the interpreters are going to start raping her as well. So, right. and then they're right. going to shoot her. So right. he just figured the most humane thing to do at this point was to shoot her. I mean, Ugh. that's how Frank thinks, right? It's awful. Yeah. Right. It's terrible. And I wanted to point out here too, this whole sequence where he's talking to Stevie back at Firebase Valley Forge, this is some of the coloring I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, Paul Mounts goes in here and he colors the sky. It's obviously right around dusk and it's, it's amazing. This, very somber conversation. There's a lot of shadow. I mean, Robertson does an amazing job here too, because his use of blacks in here, him and uh, Tom Palmer, I mean, just the amount of darkness he's used in it, the colors that Paul Mounts used in it. I mean, it, if it wasn't for the coloring and the use of blacks in this whole sequence, this whole, this whole sequence where, you know, Stevie and Frank are talking and Frank explains why he did what he did. And the fact that Stevie's got this inner monologue of, why he's terrified of Frank. Uh, it really, it's almost like a soundtrack going on in your mind when you're reading it, just because of the way yeah. the colors are. It's fantastic. Well, you know, what's interesting is that when they're at the fire base, when they're in the jungle, the only thing you see are the trees, right? And then when they're at the base, all you see are cloudy, gray, brown skies, almost like there's smoke all around them. There's no yeah. sun. There's no colors. The only color you get is the green in the jungle. That's it. There's no, there's not a hint of blue or a bright yellow anywhere. Well, there's yellow when they had the firefight, but that's about it. But there's no natural, um, there's nothing natural, you know. No. It's, it's all gray and dark and it looks like hell, basically. You know? Yeah, and Firebase Valley Forge is very manufactured looking. It's all sandbags. And oh, yeah. Posts yeah. and tents. Yeah. And there, you're right. There's nothing of nature in Firebase Valley yeah. Forge. It's all very brown and, and earth tone and drab. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess the sun comes out a little bit, but not, not very much, you know. But it's still a dark, dark place for sure. It's, it's hell, basically. Um, one thing I wanted to comment on on issue two, which was was it's refreshing to look back at it now, is that we don't have the voice in issue two. So 
which I'm very happy Ennis didn't put the voice in because then you'd be expecting it every issue. And it's almost like going into issue three, you forget about that voice because you didn't hear about it in issue two. Yeah, you know, and, and now you mentioned and I didn't now, even And now the voice is back and it's like, oh boy. And it's back with a vengeance almost. You know, we had this, it was a tease, then it went away and then it came back and you're like, oh shit, I forgot about the voice. And, and now we have it again. Yeah. So I didn't even catch that. You're right. Issue three starts out, and the first thing we see is a bunch of bombers dropping a bunch of bombs. It doesn't really say where this is, whether it's, you know, I don't even, whether it's Quezon or wherever. I don't know. It's in yeah. an urban area. And it looks like they're just trying to blow up a bridge here. And obviously, there's people on the bridge. There's traffic and cars and civilians running all over the place, and they blow the crap out of this bridge. Uh, and then there's another scene where they just show, and there's some narrative going through here from Goodwin. Where they're talking about how the soldiers are going in they're lighting fire to villages and they're throwing you know vc soldiers into pits uh they're showing napalm and agent orange and all kind of stuff they're just basically showing the horrors of the vietnam war yeah it's almost like a recap of the yeah, war. yeah almost and it's all being narrated by goodwin too that charlie sheen type character we mm -hmm. talked about before uh and then at the end at the end of this whole sequence then you see basically goodwin and angel they're sitting here at firebase valley forge and they're talking and there's some some uh, some jets that come passing real low flying jets and they're trying to figure out why they're flying so low. Yeah. I didn't quite get that of why they're flying so low. Are they going off to do a bombing run like close by or, or what? No, no, no. Frank explains it right here. And he, oh, you know, okay. of course he's using some military lingo. Uh, he says they're going home on the deck. He says, you know, oh, what that means. I see. Yeah. So they're flying low down on the, on the deck, on which the deck. is yeah. you know, a minimum altitude. And they're staying under the cloud cover because there's a storm coming and they don't want to get up in the clouds. Oh, that's the, right. The storm's yep. coming. So Frank knows that there's a storm coming. Of course, this is the day before, you know, time before we had AccuWeather on our phones. Yeah. This is the <laughs> early seventies, right? So the fact that these jets are flying low tells Frank that they know something that they don't. And he knows that there is now going to be a, a rainstorm coming that it, because these planes are flying low. And that also clues Frank in because oh. he's such a seasoned soldier to know that this attack that he's been expecting is going to be coming. Oh, see, I didn't get that. Okay. That was, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. This is that. Frank realizing that there is a storm coming okay. because of Got these it. planes flying low. The whole plane there was just a reason for Frank to, to say, oh, we're going to get rain because they're flying low and they know okay. something I don't. Got it. Got it. Well, um, so Frank, while he's this is going on, he's talking to Colonel Ottoman again, and he talks uh, about the, what the next mission is. And Ottoman says flat out, there's going to be no support, and he doesn't care. And it's almost like, Andy, that uh, Ottoman is setting Frank up and the whole platoon up to fail. Um, you know, the, 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 the first issue, uh, the, the base did not get closed down um, because the general got shot in the head. And now Ottoman, he wants out of here. And maybe the fastest way for him to get out of the war is if there is a base closure or he can get back to a, uh, a more civilized um, part of the war. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly what That's what doing. I'm thinking. I yeah. think he wants this base to fail so he can get out of there yeah. and not be in charge anymore. I think yeah. he's given up. Right. Go back to uh, go back to Indiana like Frank Burns did. 
Um, so Frank, what was funny here though, is so Ottoman says he's going to go to latrine and Frank is going to, he pulls out a grenade and he almost takes the pin out and he's going to leave the pin underneath the, uh, the latrine to blow up the uh, Colonel. But, uh, he kind of thinks better of him. That's not a very civilized way to go, you know, get a man in the back. Frank was never that kind of a character to kill a guy in the back. Um, th- he'll kill it. He'll kill you in the face, but he won't kill you in the back. <laughs> But I think you know, he drowned is... the guy, but you know, he, he doesn't have, he doesn't have cause yet. He, I mean, you can't kill a guy just cause he's an, a jerk. Exactly. And I think that's part yeah. of the reason I think Frank wants to kill him because he's a coward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's not the punisher, right? Not yet. Even though the general, he killed the general in an inhumane way. He killed McDonald in an inhumane way. Um, but neither of those characters were cowards by Frank's standards. Right. Exactly. No, the general is definitely not a coward. The general went right up those stairs, whether or not he saw the sign or not, he's going up those stairs. He's not a coward. McDonald, maybe at one point they got along in the platoon. Uh, Who knows? You know, we don't know that backstory. Um, But, uh, but sure enough, in in this point, uh, Frank does not blow him up, uh, which is, you know, good on Frank, I guess. Yeah, and I think Frank's sole reason here to, to maybe blow him up with this grenade would be because he thinks he's a coward and he's putting his men at ri- Frank's men at risk. Yeah. Clearly, Frank has no respect for him. He calls him Ottman directly. And then Ottman yeah. fires back at him, Colonel Ottman, for what it's worth. Colonel Ottman, you're right. He calls him Ottman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Doesn't he know Colonel, right? Yeah, Frank has no respect for him. So, I mean, Ottman wants it, but he's not going to get it because he doesn't deserve it, right? Exactly. But Frank does think better of it, and he's like, you know what? I'm not killing the guy because he's a coward. Right, right. So then the voice is back, and uh, it kind of keeps on going that Frank is going to turn. You know, you're going to turn, you're going to turn kind of thing. And, uh, you know, Frank, it's hard to tell if Frank is ignoring it at this point or if he does actually hear the voice in his head. Or if it's just, I, I, I kind of took it that it was more like a narration. Um, but I think it's finally getting to him, this voice. And oh, I think it's getting to him, definitely. And yeah, I, think, okay. I think he's hearing it, and I think he's trying to ignore it. But it's one of those things where it's like keeps, you know, pounding at him like a like a thud and a thud. Yeah. And it yeah. just, the voice is after him, and it's beating him down to where he has to listen to it, right? Yeah, and um, we mentioned before about the coloring, and this is another good example of this oh, yeah. part right here. Uh, there, you know, Frank knows they're coming, right? He knows the VC are coming. Yep. And the way it's shaded, and the way the blacks are used, and the coloring that Paul Mouse used in this area, he's really uh, got a somber mood to it. He's got a lot of dark clouds rolling in, obviously with this rainstorm that's coming. But the way he colors it, it's very foreboding. So you know something is going to go down, and Frank is just sitting there patiently and yep. waiting. Exactly. And then um, uh, Frank and uh, Stevie have a talk, and actually uh, Frank tells Goodwin about his family. Uh, so we know that his uh, that uh, Maria, uh, his wife, has got a they've got a daughter and they've got a, a son on the way, or she's pregnant. Um, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, this is just kind of going towards Frank. It's that, uh, um, you know, almost like a, a, a duo personality, right? Um, 
you know, what, what's he going to be? Is he going to be the punisher? Is he going to be the soldier or does he want to be the family man or can he, and we know Andy, we know that he can't have both. I mean, that's, no, just, that's the punisher. That's just his character um, for sure. Um, and then Goodwin uh, again, prevents Angel from shooting up and Angel says he's got absolutely nothing, nothing left to live for. And it's just, Angel is kind of going down this spiral you know, Frank has got his own inner demons. Angel has got his demons and he's going to go down. And then Goodwin is trying to be the good soldier and keep everything together. Uh, but you kind of know that, you know, the end is near and uh, nothing good is going to come from this end of this book. So, yeah. You know, there's a couple things that we did want to point out here. Yeah, this for whole sure. Thing where yeah. Frank is talking about his family and he opens up to Goodwin too. I think this is really the last really clear point where we see that this is the old frank castle before the punisher character takes over his his psyche right this is the last vestige of the original frank francis castle right right uh and then obviously as he goes in this part with angel here he's in the the place where all the 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 guy that supplies him with the drugs is and this is really important sequence too i think because Stevie goes in there to go see his friend. Now, before he found Angel in there and he drug him out of there and he paid this guy off. And the guy that supplied the drugs. And this time he goes in there and he comes up to the door of this, uh, this, this I don't want to call it a building. It's not a building. It's just a bunch of sandbags piled together, a tent, whatever. But the first thing that Stevie does now, he's obviously been around Frank and Frank's rubbed off on him a little bit. He, he cracks this guy in the head with the butt of his rifle. Right. So all of a sudden, Stevie's got a backbone, right? And this guy's laying unconscious on the ground, and he goes and picks up Angel off the floor and drags him out. And this is where Stevie then, we mentioned earlier, about how uh, Angel opened up, about how he has nothing waiting for him at home, and and all he's going to do is go back to the ghetto, and it, he's got nothing, so why not become a junkie, right? Yep. Stevie's telling him he's better than that. You're right. And then um, as we see the, uh, the uh, they're attacked and um, you know, Firebase Valley Forge is attacked. So the attack that Frank was warning the general and the Colonel about and his men probably uh, it's here, it's on their doorstep and there's not a whole lot they can do because they're getting overrun. Um, and uh, it kind of leads into issue four. Yeah, it's important to note, too, that the rain has now started. That rainstorm yes. that was coming, it has yeah. started. It started right before Stevie rescued Angel. Yep. Um, and when Frank opened up to, to Stevie, that's when the rain started to fall. And we didn't really have much time when the rain started to fall before the artillery shells started coming into the fire, yeah. fire base. Now, there's an amazing double-page spread in here. Once the fire, the first artillery shell drops, the first thing you see on the colors is a lot of orange and yellows and reds yep. coming in here. So they're really, I mean, it's funny. You look at some of these panels and you only see fire off in the distance, but the whole thing with the exception of the sky, all the ground, all the characters are in shades of red. They're all red. warm colors and yeah. the sky is still a cold color. So it's clear that there's a firefight going and you turn that next page and Frank, right before you turn the page, and this is brilliant how they did this. Frank yells out at the top of his lungs, illumination and they shoot up these flares into the air and you turn the page and there's a double page spread of a flare in the air and there are hundreds of Viet Cong uh, just coming yeah. just coming up the hill at the uh, Firebase Valley Forge 
amazing double page spread. This is the kind of double page spread that I'm sure when Derek Robertson sold this original art, he got a pretty penny for it. Oh, he might even still have it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he might. But it is tremendous. Paul Mount's coloring it did a tremendous job too. Uh, It's just an amazing piece of work and the setup for it and the pacing of it. This is, this is some of the, you know, this is how comics need to be done. This builds, it's a tense buildup. It's a great reveal to that. When I flipped the page and saw that, it was just like, you know, my jaw dropped. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, even in the next page where the soldiers are just in awe, they know they're going to, they're up against it. This is it. They're, you know, they might not survive the night, you know? Yeah. The guys are just looking at this, like we are going to die. There's nothing in the last panel. The show is the impact panel of the page, and it's Frank saying, "Give me the sixty caliber." Give me the sixty caliber. Yeah, that's it. Awesome issue. Awesome. That was a fantastic issue. So, we come up in the final issue, issue four, and it's opening up. Um, and the uh, this is where I wanted to talk about the cover, Andy, because if you look at the cover uh, for issue four, the soldier has got his hands um, kind of interlocked. Um, excuse me, over his face. And when you open up the panel or the page to this, same exact panel. With I didn't even catch that. Face, exactly the exact same uh, fingers are the exact same position and everything. Helmet is cracked in the exact same place. Um, and then as he takes his hands off his face, his face is burned. The flesh is coming off his face and is stuck to his hands, almost like he's got like silly putty um, on his hands. I didn't um, even catch that. It's like and the cover's a panel. The cover's a panel, the first panel, and um, because of the uh, of what's going on, so the the firefight and everything like that. So that's I did I didn't I don't think I noticed it the first time I read this. Um, it's been years since I read this, probably since I picked it up, you know, seventeen years ago. Um, but yeah, just a just a wicked. Um, front cover right and um a couple of panels here so yeah then you flip the page after that and you've got a double page uh the title page which is double page spread and this one obviously is the last day so we started with the first day issue four the last day yeah and uh it's it looks like it's a couple hours later they're still fighting it's still raining the sun is kind of coming up um the enemy keeps coming. Uh, they even shoot out the radio so they can't get any support. Uh, I think that was, or unless that was Ottoman shooting out the radio, I couldn't quite make that out. Um, if he wants us, did you catch that, Andy? No, I didn't catch that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was thinking they couldn't get a uh, signal through the rainstorm. That's what I was thinking. But I don't know if that was, I couldn't tell if that was, where's the panel where they shoot out the radio? Um, Oh, yeah, here it is. Valley Forge, this is Tusker Lee to repeat your message over, and then they shoot. But I don't know if that is the VC or if it's uh, their own men. Um, I, think oh, it's I, the, I think it's the VC that shoot out the radio, actually. Okay. Yeah. But for a minute, I thought that was, Ot- you know, Ottman uh, shooting out the radio so they wouldn't get back up. In a way. Oh, regardless, they don't have any. They don't have regardless. Any it, they have no backup, but they do get the air. The air force comes in, and they do drop their bombs, uh, so they do get some support. Um, 
But uh, what do you think of Goodwin on uh, his uh, final um, final panels? Well, let me get to that first because there's a few things we skipped. Yeah, no, go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, So obviously there's this firefight. Most of this, the first few pages is a big firefight, and it shows more of the VC advancing on Valley Forge. But there's a nice – I shouldn't say a nice. There's this interlude here where it shows Goodwin, and the guy that that he knocked in the head with the butt of his rifle knocked out when the guy was, you know, basically being Angel's dealer. He walks up behind Goodwin with his straight razor and is going to basically cut him, and he's – He's being pretty nasty to him. And right here, this guy, Goodwin's going to die by his own man, right? Because of him, you know, beating up this guy so he can save Angel. Right. And right as he's about to cut uh, Goodwin with this straight razor, Frank walks up with a shovel and cracks him in the head with it and rescues Stevie Goodwin. From, right. I did. From admit, yeah, certain I forgot death. about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then basically, you know, and now Stevie is kind of indebted to Frank. And right as this is happening, they're starting to notice the VC are now in the camp, right? The VC are now taking overrunning the camp, and it's pretty much all but lost. And right at this point, you see the VC walk in, and they, they uh, go to Colonel Ottman's office, and there sits Colonel Ottman with a pistol in his right hand and a hole in his head. And that's where they shoot the radio right there, Chris. You got it. Yep, you got it. Good recap. So, yeah, they, they shoot it right there, and lo and behold, right after that, Air Force comes in and starts dropping napalm everywhere. And what you mentioned earlier with Goodwin is Goodwin sees the napalm drop, and all of a sudden there's a huge smile on his face. Frank yells, Goodwin, pop the smoke so they don't hit us. So Stevie Goodwin goes to pop the, the colored smoke so they don't get napalmed. And the next scene you see is Stevie getting pulled into an airplane <laughs> with beautiful stewardesses. Yep. And he's got the big smile on his face like he's going home. Yep. Uh, and this is And clearly, he's going to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, this is Stevie's heaven here. Stevie yeah. is gone. And uh, this is earlier in the book. This was his description of what was going to happen when he got his tour over. He was going to get on a plane with the most beautiful stewardesses in the world. They were going to bring him beers. And he was going to fly home in luxury. And this is what his dream was. And clearly it's really neat because all you see is the last shot of a soldier uh, running at Stevie with a bayonet and Stevie's got the purple smoke holding on to the purple smoke canister. And the next panel is just this random hand pulling him into this plane. Yeah. And then Stevie is all grins. And it's almost like the hand of God pulling him, <laughs> pulling him in the plane. Yeah. And then the last you know? panel is the plane flying off into, into, into a bright light. Yep. And he made it. That's what he wanted, but it's too bad. Cause I like Stevie, but not every good guy gets, uh, gets to win and gets to live at the end. So no, and, and they kind of set this up with it, especially with it, you know, with it being very similar to that Charlie Sheen character we mentioned. Yeah. But Charlie Sheen's character was like the only character that lived at the end of Platoon. Yeah. So the whole time with Stevie narrating this thing, you're seeing Frank through Stevie's eyes in this whole series. So for Stevie to to buy it at the end there, I, I kind of didn't expect that. Well, and if Stevie is the narrator, after Stevie dies, who is the new narrator? Oh, it's the voice. It's the voice. It's Frank's inner demons that is back. And, um, and, you know, now he says, you know, time to shit or get off the pot, Frank, you've been hit three times, uh, now four, um, and sure enough, you know, what's, what's he going to do? And, uh, and sure enough, 
um, he just wants the voice wants Frank to give in, but he's got to say it. He's got to say it. And Andy, what is Frank's response <laughs> when he gives in? It's a simple word, right? He just says yes. Yes. And, and the killer thing is here. We're seeing all these panels on here. And there's lots of red, there's lots of orange, there's lots of yellow. And this is another scene where Paul Mounts, that last impact panel of that page where he says yes, it's just, there's no background. It's just purple background. And Frank is all, I mean, he's all colored with shape, with a tone of red. You know, half his face is shadowed. He's bleeding everywhere. There's yep. spittle coming out of him. He's gritting his teeth. And he just shot. looks. His shoulder's oh, shot. Oh, yeah. And he, Frank is just. Yes, you know that's all. Just this yep. grizzled, yes. Like there's no stopping me now. I'm letting you take over. Yeah. And then um, I love the you know. And then Frank, after that, he just kind of goes to town again. And um, you know, after all the smoke clears, Frank is standing there, and that is just a. He looks like a zombie almost. The way. He, oh yeah. I mean, he is just all zombified over. Um, he's not even holding the, the gun. Is cracked it's you know he's holding it the other way just dead bodies all around and he's the he's the last man standing he's the lone survivor yeah did you notice back here this plume of smoke coming up behind him is I actually did. a punisher skull the punisher skull is a plume of smoke that is yeah, so that's cool. crazy that's cool that is so cool <laughs> yeah. but you know these other grunts that are coming here and these hueys that are landing here you know after this fight is over and they find frank standing there by himself amongst all these dead bodies and they're just looking at like, what the heck? You know, it's can't believe that we had a guy win this whole fight by himself. Yeah, yeah. And then they put him on a chopper and fly away. And the last thing you see is Stevie Goodwin laying there dead. Oh, that's right. That's Stevie. Yeah, it is Stevie. Uh, he's mm -hmm. dead. I well, I shouldn't say it's the last thing you see. It's the last thing you see from Firebase Valley Forge. No, I, I, I guess I didn't notice that was Stevie, but that is Stevie. Yeah, yeah. It's Stevie, right? Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that as Stevie. And then Frank has flown back home. He's uh, he's busted up. He's got a crutch. He's got his arm in a sling, but he's in full Marine uh, uniform. And um, he meets his family, you know, and that's kind of what he wanted. Um, but he's he still has the voice, right? So he's still kind of torn because he's given in to uh, this life. But he, he hasn't put on the uniform yet, Andy. That That, you know... That's still to come, the skull t-shirt. Uh, but he is definitely the Punisher. He is definitely turned and he's got that uh that dual personality has taken over. But but him looking at the family um with the skull in the background, you know, that's that's an ominous uh panel right there. Yeah, the but page. That's really wicked. Yeah, you know, I felt like Frank was really like thinking, okay, I left that part of me back in Vietnam and I'm coming home to my family and that that's gone. Yeah. But the, the voice then reminds him that it's still there. Right. And the voice is like, you know, no, no, Frank, I'm not gone. This is, you know, this is a nice family and all, but remember I promised you there'd be a price you'd have to pay. That's it. Yeah. And then the, right when he said, when the voice says there's a price to be paid, it shows his family with the skull and that you yeah. know, silhouetted by the skull. And even, and then you'd think that'd be the last panel but there's one more page and Frank kind of opens his mouth and he realizes it. And the voice says, too late, Frank, nothing you can do about it. Things have already been set in motion. Uh, so it's just, it's just a matter of time when, uh, when something else happens. Uh, you yeah. Know, when, so 
Frank knows it's coming and he grabs his family and holds Some, on to his family dearly. Yeah, because he might not he knows that his family is gonna have to die. That's that's what I'm thinking. That something more wicked is gonna happen. You know, that was just the beginning. And it yeah, is the born. So yeah. And he knows the Punisher is going to eventually take over and it's just yep. that price is going to have to be paid and he doesn't want to lose his family. Exactly. exactly. Tremendous, tremendous series. Oh, fantastic. So not for, uh, not for little kids. That's for sure. No, it's not you know. for the squeamish either. Derek no. Roberts. And I mean, some of the Punisher Max stuff, I've only read the whole, the, the entirety of it one time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I have not yet read uh, the new Soviet uh, series, obviously, yep. but, um, yeah, uh, this is some of it is more uh, gruesome than others, than other uh, artists. Depends on which artist you're using. But Derek Robertson does not hold back when it goes when it comes to drawing things that are you know violent and gruesome and gory and whatnot. Right. Um, if I mean he doesn't go to the point where it's ridiculous, but it's clearly an R-rated comic. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But overall, what'd you think? It was. I think it's written. a fantastic book. Um, yeah. I, it was definitely better the second time I read it. And this was the second time I read it when I read it yesterday in preparation for today. Um, when did you first read it? I first read this. Actually, it wasn't too terribly long ago. Okay. I think I got it for Father's Day last year because it was. Oh, one really? Of the few, that yeah, it was. Yeah, because it was one of the few Punisher Max things I didn't have. Okay. Um, you got my, the trade? Yeah, yeah I there's did. a trade and a hardcover we should mention yeah yeah uh i had I, my punisher max collection is the original deluxe hardcovers that collected two trade paper backs worth of material mm -hmm. and i have all those and i also have the jason Aaron stuff in trade paperback but the only thing i didn't have was this punisher born series it was always one of those things where i wanted it but i didn't have it and mm -hmm. for a while i think it might have been out of print for a while and i found I was I looking around at some other things and I, and I saw a copy at half price books and I told my uh, son, Jake, I said, Hey, uh, there's a book. It's out of print. I've been wanting it for a long time. I saw a copy at half price books and I think he went over there and bought it for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that's how I ended up with it for father's day last year. Nice. And uh, I'm glad he got it for me because it is tremendous. It is so good. And this is one of those instances where, you know, the perfect combination of, writer artist inker colorist i mean paul mouse doesn't get any his name is not on the cover but it should be yeah um i i think yeah he doesn't um, i mean he's we already know paul mouse he's a tremendous colorist and oh, he's yeah. always been but the work he does in this series is yeah there's i can't imagine even anybody even like uh uh who's the guy that does hellboy that always wins the eisner awards um Dave, I want to say Dave Johnson. Dave Stevens. No, that's not. No, Dave not Stevens. Dave Stevens. Dave. Um, I don't know. Anyway, the guy that wins all the Hellboy awards, he's an amazing colorist. But Paul Mouse on this book, man, when a guy can color it and set the mood, that, that's that's going far right. above. So outstanding, really good work. Cool. So a couple of notes on this. So I kind of mentioned in the beginning of the show uh, about the tours that Frank did. And there is a few, a uh, couple of prequels to Bourne. Uh, and even though Bourne was kind of came out during the, the Max run uh, that Ennis was doing, 
he just recently, a couple of years ago, went back and wrote about Frank's first tour uh, that took place in 1968, as it was alluded to in issue one of Born, and that is called uh, Punisher of the Platoon. And in this first tour, Frank is a second lieutenant. And then uh, it's a great story, six issues. Uh, we'll get to that probably in a later episode, probably at the end of all this. We'll, Andy and I, I'd like to go back and talk about these other uh, tours if we can. And there'd be a kind of a good end cap to everything. Uh, his second tour, though, Andy, is which uh, which they mentioned is kind of a mystery. Well, this mystery actually took place. Uh, it wasn't in Cambodia, Cambodia, but it actually took place in Laos. But it took place in the pages of Nick Fury Max, My War Gone By, uh, which is a 13-issue series. And Frank shows up in the second half of it. Uh, in a volume two, which is a trade paperback in Fury Max. And in this second tour, he's a first lieutenant, and it takes place in 1970. And Frank is a sniper, which I think is kind of interesting. He's not in charge of a, a platoon or anything like that. He is a kind of a gun for hire that Frank or that Nick kind of hears about this one guy, and uh, they kind of team up uh, to do uh, some covert operations. Now, I should mention that Fury Max, uh, My War Gone By, is volume three of the Fury Max series. There was Fury in 2001, Fury Peacemaker in 2006, and then My War Gone By in 2012. There is a fourth one uh, coming up, and that is also going to include Frank Castle, and that's called Get Fury. Uh, we're, we don't know anything about this. This was announced just last year at the exact same time that... Uh, NS announced he was going to do Punisher Soviet, and Soviet is on issue five or six right now, Andy. I think even the trade paperback was solicited in the latest uh, round of uh, DCBS. I'm pretty sure I, I uh, pre-ordered it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're at for these other trade paperbacks. We want to learn more about early Frank and even the, the Punisher or the Fury stuff, which I have all the Fury trade paperbacks. I love it. I thought it was great. In fact, before this, uh, before I, the my war gone by came out, I didn't even realize that there was a Fury Max uh, way back when. Uh, so I quickly picked those up, and they're they're great though. So it really sets up the kind of Fury, uh, and now and you know they kind of merge together. And I think you know the final one is going to be in Get Fury, uh, which is probably going to be coming out in uh, twenty one or maybe even twenty two. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I, yeah, I think that's going to be uh, penciled by Goran Parloff too. Who did the other yeah. Fury Max book? Too. Yeah, is he doing Soviet too? No, I believe. Uh, oh my gosh, the guy who did Crossed, we talked about that. Um, oh, okay, okay. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's doing it. He's a tremendous artist. Okay. Um, there is also another couple of trade paperbacks you might want to like uh, pick up. One of them is called uh, Punisher from First to Last, which is a Max imprint it collects tigers and this is when frank is 10 years old it also collects a one issue called the cell which takes place around the time of issues one through seven uh of the of the ennis run which we'll get to and then there's kind of like an elseworlds type story called the end which marvel a couple of years ago did all these end books like daredevil the end spider-man the end fantastic for the end and they did a punisher one the end uh, it just so happens this Punisher one is Punisher Max, which kind of, you know, we'll get to at the very end of Punisher Max, but it's kind of like um, 
how could this even take place? So who knows about the, the end or the Elseworlds type stories that the ends are. So it's just kind of there. They threw it under the end imprint or the, um, the, yeah, the end imprint uh, of uh, Marvel, but uh, it's a, it's a good story nonetheless. Um, but there's another book, <laughs> one more book. And if you're into the more uh, Punisher that we know and love, uh, the more Marvel Universe type of things, there's a book they collected not too long ago called Punisher Invades the Nam. Because Frank's early, um, Frank was featured in the Nam back in the, uh, the late 1980s um, in the Nam 52 and 53, and then 67, 68, and 69. And then there's a one shot called Punisher Invades the Nam Final Invasion, which was to be issue number 70. It also collects Punisher War Journal. 52 and 53 and then war zone 26 through 30 which all kind of tie into his time in the nam as well so lots of great early pre-punisher uh frank castle stories in vietnam um and before even he uh he hits up and running in the uh the max series so that's that's pretty much about it i think we covered a lot andy in this one so yeah, quite a bit. I I, I got to share something with you that I don't think you're privy to since you have it. You read it in issues instead of yeah. in collected edition. There is some art in the back of here, and if I can find it, I'm going to hold it up to the screen. I know our listeners won't be able to see this, but it's really interesting to me that uh, Derek Robertson, when he was doing uh, character studies for this, when he was reading the script, he originally, Chris, if you take a look here, he had originally viewed frank as a bald guy that shaved his head oh interesting yeah and then he also had a look where more of a marine type look where he had that kind of marineish mohawk on uh, oh nice yeah there. yep yeah and then eventually he just ended up with the traditional one yeah uh, much better yeah. what he looks like in the book but uh, part of what Derek robertson had said was and he started to draw the character with the shaved head and then he gave him that that mohawk looking marine mohawk look the high and tight or whatever you want yeah. to call it uh, but each one of these character studies, Frank looked older and yeah. he wanted to convey that Frank was still innocent, you know, even though he was in the war, but he still had a level of innocence to him that the Punisher hadn't completely taken over yet at this well, point. Well, Frank in this point of born, he's only about 23 years old. Oh yeah. I mean, and there are because it was established. It was established. Well, he's to be 24 because it was established that he was born in this Frank Castle was born in 1947. And this takes place in 1971. Um, and his first tour was in 68. So, yeah, he's still a young man. So Yeah. And, and the way Robertson draws him in this, I mean, he's clearly a young man. He's in his early 20s. Yeah. And some of those designs with that more, you know, traditional badass Marine look don't really fit a guy that is a regular guy that the Punisher is then taking over, right? Yep. Punisher is born because he has to, he doesn't need to, you don't want him starting out as the Punisher in the beginning of the series. If the series is called born, we want to show his origin of becoming the Punisher, right? Right. And it's not like it's a Punisher year one. It's, you know, before year one, it's pre year one. Right. It's great to see. So, but I mean, it would be almost like, you know, if you took Batman instead of Batman year one, if you had when, when he was a teenager or college age or whatever, yeah. and you see, you know, the persona of Batman taking over his. Well, like Gotham, that's kind of what Gotham did and kind of yeah. what Smallville did with, uh, with Superman. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Similar. Yep. I like it. 
So it's an outstanding book and uh, highly recommend it. And if you want to keep up with us before we get to the next one in a, hopefully a month, uh, go out and get Punisher Born and read it. Whether you get it on Comixology or through In Stock Trades or Amazon, or just dig through some long boxes and find it if you can. Oh, for sure, for sure. So then the next one, um, Andy, I believe we're going to do is um, I think we're going to do the first. Um, if I can find it, um, I think we're going to do uh volume one which is going to be called in the beginning and that covers puncher issues one through six of the max run correct i believe so yes yep is uh then kitchen irish is after that is that right kitchen irish is after that yeah okay yeah i'm looking forward to that and i think uh that's got some leandro fernandez art in if i'm not mistaken i haven't really looked but i really liked his stuff i remember reading it when i that was the first puncher max stuff i ever read so be nice. fun to go back to that cool so anything else any last words on punisher born no i just think it's a amazing book and then it's why this book is one of the you know it holds up as i mean i, I gotta tell you chris this is i mean you've really i was never a punisher fan until we became friends yeah <laughs> and this was you've got me on to punisher and but this book really i, I oh, it's it's so good and it's yeah. just so well written and care the Frank Castle's character is so well defined in this book. And this is a master class by Garth Ennis on how yeah. to develop character uh, in this whole series, let alone this issue alone or this, this trade paperback alone. And uh, if you haven't read it, I, I highly recommend it. it you got to love war stories or at least like them and, yeah. uh, and not be squeamish. No, but, it's rated R. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is very much rated R. But if you can handle war stories, uh, I can't imagine that uh, if you're a Punisher fan or even like the Punisher, if you don't read this, uh, I think it's a must read for you if you're a Punisher fan. All righty. Well, thanks, Andy. Uh, That'll do it for this episode of the Collected Comics Library. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more from Andy and I, please join us on our free Slack channel community at bit.ly slash ccl slack and you can also email us at collected comics library at gmail.com talk to you again real soon thanks